Welcome to FOP Church Message of the Week. We pray you are challenged by the Word. For more information, please visit www.fhop.church. Isaiah 40, 29 says, He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. And I also want to refer to Philippians 4.13, For I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I want to share with you today, Young men shall fall exhausted. Young men shall fall exhausted. And I want to read you a passage out of Psalm 77 from the Message Bible. So you don't have to turn there because it won't, it won't relate probably to what you're holding in your lap. Um, I don't use the Message Bible for theology, but... Sometimes I, I read it. I yell out to God. I yell with all my might. I yell at the top of my lungs. He listens. I found myself in trouble and went looking for my Lord. My life was an open wound that wouldn't heal. When friends said, everything will turn out all right, I didn't believe a word they said. I remember God and shake my head. I bow my head, then wring my hands. I'm awake all night, not a week of sleep. I can't even say what's bothering me. I go over the days one by one. I ponder the years gone by. I strum my lute all through the night, wondering how to get my life together. Will the Lord walk off and leave us for good? Will he never smile again? Is his love worn threadbare? Has his salvation promise burned out? Has God forgotten his manners? Has he angrily stalked off and left us? Just my luck, I said. The high God goes out of business just the moment I need him. Once again, I'll go over what, the Lord, what God has done and lay out on the table the ancient wonders. Now, now see what he does here. He, sh- he shifts. He's saying, you know, just my luck. God's gone. So once again, I'll go over what God has done and lay out on the table the ancient wonders. I'll ponder all the things you've accomplished and give a long, loving look at your acts. Oh, God, your way is holy. No God is great like God. You're the God who makes things happen. You showed everyone what you can do. You pulled your people out of the worst kind of trouble, rescued the children of Jacob and Joseph. Ocean saw you in action, God, saw you and trembled with fear. Deep ocean was scared to death. Clouds belched buckets of rain. Sky exploded with thunder. Your arrows flashing this way and that. From whirlwind came your thundering voice. Lightning exposed the world. Earth reeled and rocked. You strode right through ocean, walked straight through roaring ocean, but nobody saw you come or go. Hidden in the hands of Moses and Aaron, you led your people like a flock of sheep. I want everybody to just say the word always. I want to, if there's a, if there's a word that I want to focus on today, be the word always, even, even young men. And why, why does it, why does it focus on young men? 
because physically they're the strongest among us in, in terms of physical. Now, there, there's, there's exceptions to that. We had a lady at a higher dimensions. We went with the church there that could whip any man in our church, and, uh, and we all knew it. And uh, she was, she was uh, like a professional bodybuilder and uh, uh, very, very, uh, very impressive. Uh, but in general, men are, I just read an article the other day on, on the Internet about how uh, in this one place in California, which is where this stuff usually happens, um, these girls are protesting, high school girls are protesting because, because of the transgender thing. They're letting boys who identify as girls run in the girls' track meets. And, of course, they're killing these girls. And, of course, that's where this stuff ends up. You're telling me there's not a difference. There is a difference. And so when, it's, when it makes reference to young men, it's, it's, it's bearing witness to the, to the fact that when we think about physical strength, we think about young men. And he's saying, so he's saying even young men, even those who are the strongest among us, will fall exhausted. They the, and what it's saying is, so, so get out of your mind that this is just referring to men. This is referring to all of us. What it's saying is, the strongest among us don't have the strength to do this journey. There are none of us who have the strength to do this journey. I want to talk a little bit. And, and a whole lot of what I'm going to preach today is, is targeted toward the younger ones among us not because the older ones don't need it, but they don't as much because most of the older ones here, if you're here and you've walked with God for years, you've already experienced everything I'm going to preach today. And maybe I will remind you of something today to give you an opportunity when you have a moment alone with God later to go, thank you, God. But what I'm preaching today is critical for some of you that are younger to understand. And uh, so in, in my journey, and most of you know this stuff, and I'll, I'll keep it brief, but, but as a young teenager, I, I believed there was a God, but I, but I hated him. And, and the God that was preached at my church seemed to be pretty arbitrary and petty. And as a result of that, the, his people seemed to be pretty arbitrary and petty as well uh, because they take on the nature of God. Amen. How you see God is how you end up, you end up, uh, Tozer tells us, we end up moving towards our mental image of God. And most of his people were pretty arbitrary and petty, and I wasn't interested in the Christianity I was seeing. So by the time I was 15, I was what you would call an agnostic, someone who doesn't know. But, but as a lot of you know, I prayed a prayer at the age of 15 and said, God, if you're real, show me you're real, and I'll serve you forever. And, and, I, and I meant that prayer, but it'd be the last prayer that I would pray for another five years. And during that five years, I became a full-blown atheist, which was quite a scandal in my small town. I don't know, I guess I was the only one. Um, you would think I was for the, for the way the, the uh, let, let's just say it wasn't good. After high school, and I went, I, I made a living for a few years playing in a series of, of rock bands and as the youngest person in the band, in every band I was in, I was introduced to a lifestyle that was 
it was pretty much a dead end. And so by the time I'm 19, I'm a drug addict, I'm a drug dealer, um, I'm the person that the parents of even the bad kids around town are saying don't hang out with him, and they were right, all right? I'd already had a failed suicide attempt in the books, and I studied the Bible to find inconsistency so I could try to convert people away from Christianity. But God. Hello. There was a group of young believers at college that targeted me, began to pray for my conversion. I began to have a series of encounters with God, and it's amazing. Some of the stuff God, I think, does just because he has a sense of humor. See, God is so in control that while he's pursuing the vilest sinner, he can do it with, a, with an edge about him. And so he can do things like this new song came out from this demonized group called Highway to Hell. And here I am, an atheist. I'm driving down the road with a friend of mine. He's driving, and this song comes on. Hey, Satan paid my dues playing in a rock and roll band. Hey, Mama, look at me. I'm on my way to the promised land. I'm on the highway to hell. And, and I remember I said, dude, do you hear that? And he said, what? I said, that's us. We're going to hell. And he said, Killingsworth, you're an atheist. You don't even believe in hell. And literally, I said this. I said, that doesn't mean I'm not going there. But then I was able to push that back out of my mind and dig in again until the night, March 2nd, 1980, early in the morning. Uh, and, and again, I'll, I'll, I'll go through this. If you want the details on that, uh, you can ask me about it later. Most of the people have, have heard. But at 1.59 in the morning, I was a hardened, dug-in, defiant atheist. And one minute later, 60 seconds later, at 2 in the morning, I was born again, delivered from drugs, delivered from alcohol, and on fire for God. In 60 seconds. Because of what? Because the break-in of God on my life, who came upon me, well, I didn't even believe in Him, came upon me and said, say yes to me right now and I'll save you where you sit. And in that moment, in that quick, I understood what that meant to say yes to him. I understood, first of all, that it's a referral back to that prayer. If you're real, show me you're real, and I'll serve you forever. I understood that he was asking for everything. He was asking for all in. This was not a negotiation. That by saying yes, I was going all in. And I knew that, and I prayed a two-word prayer. Yes, Lord! And was born again, sitting right there on the couch, 2 o'clock in the morning, all right? And so... My response then after that was, Lord, I told you I would serve you, and I'll serve you no matter what anybody else does. And my attitude was kind of, I'm not going to be like the rest of these flaky hypocrites. Hello. Five months later, I was baptized in the Holy Spirit. Uh, Tuesday night, July 29, 1980. Uh, Wednesday night, July 30th, 1980, I preached my first sermon in a biker bar in Galena, Kansas. Because I'm not going to be like the rest of these flaky hypocrites. And then we just began to preach the, the revival in my, my little garage apartment that I lived in in Miami, Oklahoma. They called it the upper room on the campus at, at NEO College because that's where the, the word was out. You know how... And it was this way when I was in the drug culture. So, you know, Killingsworth has stuff. Go by his house. And so now the word was 
oh, you interested in the baptism of the Holy Spirit? There's this guy that lives at such and such apartment. Go by his house, and he will, he will teach you about it and pray for you to receive the Holy Spirit. And so that little garage apartment was called, it was called the upper room. The thing's still standing. We drove by there a couple years ago, and it's just, it's just decadent. I mean, it's just decrepit. Not decadent, decrepit, but it's, it's, it's like the pulpit and me. It's standing. Hello. Are you guys with me? You might as well relax. I'm not going to actually preach mean today. So quit waiting for the other shoe to fall. Hello. You don't believe me. It's like that day Craig Rogers, I said, Craig, they, they just, he said, he got up and said, I'm going to preach something positive today. And when he got done, I said, okay, yeah, you preached. I'm positive most of you are going to hell. <laughs> That's not what they thought was coming, Craig. <laughs> when you said, I'm going to preach positive. But there's revival was going, and there were people getting saved, and there were people getting filled with the Holy Spirit, and, and they were talking about it. And, and I got my credentials with Kogaf, and they were talking about it around Kogaf. And, and some of the preachers were saying stuff like, well, it's about time somebody got saved and filled with the Holy Spirit and just started preaching. And, and some of the women intercessors were saying, we've been praying that somebody like you would show up. And you know what that did to me? I thought, do you know who I am? I'm an answer to prayer. I am an answer to prayer. We've been praying God would give somebody like you to us. Oh, well, I'm the gift of God. Do you know what I am? I'm the gift of God to you. Now, <clears throat> I say all that to set up this message. you you got to know where it's heading. By the way, I started. The pulpit's broken but still standing, amen? You just don't want to lean on it too hard because it's not reliable. Hello. This is where some of you are at. You had a dramatic encounter with God that resulted in an authentic new birth, and you made tremendous promises to God, perhaps like the one Peter made. See, Peter was that way. The night Jesus was going to be crucified, he's going to, well, I mean, he's going to be crucified the next day, and, and Peter is basically saying, though all the rest of these jokers forsake you, Lord, I'll die with you. I'm not going to be like the rest of these flaky hypocrites. Hello. And Jesus is saying, Peter, you're not even going to make it through the night. I mean, you're going to be the first one done. Hello. And, but the Bible says that they all forsook him and fled. Have you ever thought about that? That they all forsook him and fled. So what that means, beloved, is in Acts chapter 2, the greatest outpouring of the Holy Spirit in history was poured on a room full of people that a couple of months earlier left him to die, denied that they knew him. Are you hearing? And I think that there's something in that that God wants us to learn. Amen? We sincerely want to believe that we're more loyal than we actually are or more capable than we actually are it's it's hard for humanity because the essential sin of our nature is that we can be as gods we can know good and evil we believe that we have a strength that we don't have we believe that we're more loyal than we actually are and that we believe we have a capability we don't in fact possess but as i said you don't really have the strength to finish this journey you say well i'm just taking up my cross and following Jesus, yeah, but even Jesus didn't carry his cross alone. 
And, and so sooner or later, you find yourself face down in the dirt with a cross on your back, needing some help. And so that's what I want to preach about today. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. So, so you, you sit here and you're feeling ashamed because you did not fulfill the promises you made to God right at this altar or somewhere else. And, and so I'm here for a purpose today, to convince you to stop making promises to God that you can't keep anyway. And I want you to stop trying to live out promises to God and start living from His promises to you. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, it says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, watch, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. I want us to live from His exceeding great and precious promises to us, not trying to grind through and live up to our promises to Him that we don't keep anyway. And as to your shame, beloved, Nobody failed him worse on that night but Peter. They all failed him, but nobody failed worse than Peter did. Yet when he rose from the dead and was walking, uh, talking to the women who met him outside the tomb, he said this, he said, Go tell my disciples, and especially Peter, I will meet him in Galilee. I need you to understand, your failures didn't take God by surprise. Hello. My, my sister was a... Was a uh, an interesting person because she was a, 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 a drug addict, a heroin addict, at one point a prostitute, and a Jehovah's Witness. That's quite a combination. And yet she got delivered, born again, baptized in water, baptized in the Holy Spirit, and, and started going on for God. And she's two or three years into that, she calls me one day, broken so what, what's wrong she said well I got drunk and and she was thinking you know I'm just not saved and and um, oh, okay what do I tell because what I tell her at this moment is going to make all the difference and 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 I just the Lord just came on me and um, I said uh, you know the, the the day you got saved baptized in the Holy Spirit the Lord knew you were going to do this, and he saved you anyway. He's not like going, what did I do? Saved her, and she, am I saying it's all right what you did? No, but, but no, we're not, we're not abandoning ship. Hello? Confess your sin, and he's, you know what? It, what's interesting about 1 John 1 and 9, it doesn't even say he's, Merciful and gracious to forgive you your sin. It said he's faithful and just. It's right that he should forgive your sin. The, the price has been paid for it. Hello. How can we grow in grace if we always think we're having to start over in it? Get up! Are, are you okay? 
Your failure didn't take God by surprise. The Bible says he foreknew you, which means that he considered everything about you before he called you. Hello. Everything about you he considered. Listen, left to ourselves, we're all going to run, and we're all going to fail him. And, the, and then there's some, you look around, that aren't even here today because of this shame. And I need you to understand, if you don't learn this lesson, there will come a day there won't be a church service to pull you up. You have to learn. This is how you learn to walk with God. It's what I learned on the journey. After 40 years now of this, my family and friends and church and the leadership of denomination would call me faithful, and, and some of them would even call me relentless, which is ridiculous. In 40 years, I have never met a relentless Christian. I've seen Christians have relentless seasons. Hello. And it's a beautiful thing to behold when they do. But sooner or later, we all slack some. But I want you to understand, there was a time, and some of you had a front row seat for this, about six years into my walk with God, um, when I, uh, uh, you know, Paul, it's interesting, Paul talks about all these things he went through, the, the shipwrecks and the stonings and all this, and then in the midst of that kind of thing, he puts in there false brethren. Like, like that's actually a thing that stacks up with being stoned and shipwrecked and fed to beasts. And I can say, yeah. How many of you have ever been in peril of false brethren? And, and, and we were in peril of some professional false brethren who could false brethren with the best of them. And, and, it, <laughs> and it created some, let's say, some disappointment in my life and some bitterness and some anger. And I came to the point, I don't want to preach to these people anymore or anybody else. And I don't care what you want me to do, God. And, and so, so here's the thing. So you look at me after 40 years and you go, yeah, but see, you don't, I struggle with some, listen, listen, I had been radically delivered from drugs and alcohol, and I was so mad and so angry. I remember I was riding a Greyhound bus to uh, El Dorado, Arkansas. My family was already down there for Thanksgiving, and I'm riding a bus. And, and Greyhound buses are a thing now, Right? Anything you want to experience, you can experience on a Greyhound bus. I took a whole group of teenagers on a Greyhound bus, and it was, it was, yeah, I mean, I had to rescue uh, some of them. And uh, there, was a, there was a guy that was, like, freaking out, like, acting like he was going to shoot the bus up. So I'd been sharing with the, I'd been sitting up by the bus driver talking to him, which you're not supposed to do. And so when we find out he's sitting back by Haley and Jacob, this guy, and so the bus driver looks at me and says, Pastor, I need you to go sit by that guy. So I had to go sit by the guy that was about ready to shoot up the bus. And anyway, take me to lunch. I'll tell you the whole story. And <laughs> the Greyhound buses are interesting. And so I'm on this Greyhound bus. I'm in, a, I'm in a suit. I'm an accountant. I'm in a suit. And just for the heck of it, I wanted to see if I could get the young man next to me to sell me a joint. If I still had that touch you know, it's quite a skill to have you know and uh, and he did and I put it in my wallet and carried it around for weeks because I'm thinking I'm gonna smoke this but then I'm thinking no, I ain't either <laughs> and then I, I had to work out of town and I'm in a 
I'm standing in a motel, and I I literally went and bought a six-pack of beer and took it to the room. I'm going to drink this. And I literally sat there for hours and stared at it on the table. Say, yeah, but D, you didn't. That's the point. You didn't. No, these are hard issues. You don't know why I didn't. It wasn't because I thought, oh, that would displease God. I didn't want to lose my family. I'm thinking, I'll fall back off into that. I'll end up losing my, I didn't want to lose my family. All my motivations were wrong. But I I didn't have enough sense to sit there and look at that and say, God, help me. To the point that finally walking down the sidewalk in Green Forest, Arkansas, one Wednesday night, I stopped and said, you're going to have to help me. I don't want to walk away. I don't want to be shipwrecked. I don't want to do this. I want to walk with God. Help me. I have no strength. I don't think I said it exactly that way, but that was the gist of the prayer. I can't do this. I'm at the end. Do you understand? My life is full of things I've failed God in. It's my qualification for being up here is that I've failed in almost every promise I ever made to him. Hello. I said that at youth camp one year. Uh, I got up and said, you're probably wondering why I know guys preaching because my qualification is I've failed in almost everything I ever promised God. Now open your Bibles to... Hello. But I've learned to quit... Listen, what is the difference in walking in the Spirit and walking in the flesh? Walking in the flesh is you walking by your promises to God. Walking in the Spirit is you walking by His promises to you. Paul said, having obtained help from God, to this day I continue. And so the greatest apostle that ever lived was saying, if if he hadn't helped me, I wouldn't be here having obtained help from God. And so he's promised me. I'm, what I'm saying to you, because for years I'd give that testimony, I told God, if you're real, show me you're real, I'll serve you forever. And he showed me he's real. And then one day, a few years ago, the Lord said, you know, the next time you tell that story, it's a great story, the Lord loves the testimony. He said, next time, tell the rest of it. I said, what's the rest of it? Tell them you haven't. You said if I showed you I was real, you'd serve me forever. Tell them you haven't. Tell them there's times you refused. Tell them there's times you dug in. Tell them there's times that you pulled back. You slacked. Tell them there's times you fell. Tell them you haven't done your part. Well, Lord, that changes the whole story. That makes it all about him and not us. Hello. And so... I'm not here today because 40 years ago I said, God, if you're real, show me you're real and I'll serve you forever. I'm here because he said to me, I will never leave you or forsake you. Hello. I'm here because he said to me that when I come to him, he'll never cast me out. I'm here because he said to me that he who has begun a good work in me will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. I am here because he said to me that he would sanctify me holy and that my whole spirit, soul, and body will preserve blameless unto the coming of the Lord. So I can say with Paul, having obtained help from God to this day I continue. 
Jude 24 says it this way, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord be glory, majesty, dominion, authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his presence with great joy, to him be the glory, not to you. Amen. And Paul had experienced something. The, the same man who wrote, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, wrote this in Romans chapter 7, beginning in verse 15. He says, For I do not understand my own actions. How many are right there with him? <clears throat> For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Just, just insert yourself into... People always want to insert themselves into Bible text. Insert yourself right into this one. Amen? I do, I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Now, some try to say that Paul was talking about another time before he knew the Lord, but that's not even reasonable in reading the text and reading the entire book of Romans. There's, there's a context for the book of Romans, and it's called the book of Romans. Hello, start at chapter 1, verse 1, read it four or 500 times like I have, and then tell me that he's talking about before he was saved. Because he's talking about now, and, and, and there's, there's actual battles that go on in trying to live for God. You young people are lucky. When I was your age, there was certain, I mean, we had a theology of, of definite work sanctification that said you got sanctified and then you were perfected. And so if you didn't receive that, you at least pretended you did. Am I right, guys? If you weren't sanctified, you at least acted like it. Hello. Some of you don't even know what I'm talking about. I know I'm serious. You, <laughs> Holy Spirit was sanctified you, and then you had no more temptation to sin. So nobody ever stood up in church and confessed to any kind of temptation. No. That would be acknowledging you didn't really love God. Hello. So no, the only time they even got close to acknowledging anything was when they were taking up prayer requests and they'd say any unspoken request by the uplifting of a hand and every male hand over 15 years old went up. Hello. <laughs> and so I got in kind of a weird mood back in the mid-80s and, and uh, I, got, I got in this season where I didn't really care about politics or status, or ministry accomplishment, or anything. I just wanted to tell the truth. So, so I got up, I was preaching revival at Golden, Missouri, and I got up, 
and there was a lot of, it was during January, and there was a lot of kids home from college that were at this revival, and so I got up and started talking about, because again, the, the, the feeling was, in the 1980s when you got saved, you became asexual when you got saved. You no longer had any desire at all for anything like that, and so I got up and I was preaching, and I started preaching to these young men about there are issues with sexual lust and masturbation and these issues. And it became a kind of intense meeting. The crowds got bigger every night, and then the Lord got tired of it and snowed the whole thing out, apparently. And uh, so one of these young men called me. He went to the University of Arkansas and said, Hey, can you come over to the U of A and talk to my Bible study group? about what you were talking about at church. And I thought, well, that's going to be kind of weird because I still wasn't, like, totally comfortable with the conversation. I thought, okay, I can go over and talk to two or three guys. I said, where are you at? What dorm? He tells me. I said, okay, what night? Uh, Thursday night. All right, I'll be there. So I drive over there. And, and when I walk in the, the main floor in the main lobby, the rooms, you know, where everybody sits around, in the, there's almost 40 dudes sitting there waiting for me to get there. It's like church. I walk in, I said, what's this? This is my Bible study group. I said, you didn't tell me you had 40 people on a Bible study group. He said, well, we don't. We usually have four or five, but, but I put a flyer up. I was like, I don't even want to see the flyer. <laughs> and but these were young men who, to a man, thought they weren't saved because they were still struggling with things. You, you're lucky. We at least acknowledge that we're worthless, no good, no account sinners who need the Spirit of God to do anything good in us now. Amen? Is anybody in here that's completed in your sanctification? Hello? Beloved, you, you can't carry the cross alone, but you don't have to. I, I came to you today not to tell you that you aren't relentless, but to talk to you about the one who is. You see, Paul learned something in his journey, and that's why it's important for an older man to preach to you occasionally because we have failed in just about every way. you know. And yet the people who know me best would all call me faithful and relentless. They got a low definition of relentless. Uh, but but that's, that's what the call. Paul was an old man when he wrote these words. Romans 8, he said, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword as is written for your sake? We're killed all day long and we're counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. As we've talked about here before, to be persuaded means that he had an argument in his mind. There, there was a time when he wasn't sure he believed this, that nothing could separate him from the love of Christ. But now he's confident in the Lord, in the Lord's ability to bring him through. 2 Corinthians 2.14 says, Thanks be to God who always, everyone say always, always causes us to triumph. Everyone say always. 
always. Always. You know what that means? This is the promise. I said I, I wanted you to live from the promises of God to you. This is the promise. If I don't quit and I don't surrender, I win. What do I got to do? I, I, I just got to quit. Now, it might be an ugly win. A, a few years ago, I decided to run my first ultra marathon, and I was going to run the War Eagle thing over there in War Eagle Park. And, uh, and they told us, you know, when we were getting ready to start out, they said, now, if you get lost, we're not going to come look for you. We'll find you next year. And, you know, there's like bears and stuff in those woods. So I'm thinking, <laughs> nobody get lost. There's like five, 600 of us. You know, just follow the other people, right? I mean, what's the chances you'd get out there and be completely alone? And uh, <laughs> so anyway... They gave us advice. Here's advice for running an ultra marathon. They said two things. Number one, start slow and then slow down. And number two, keep moving forward. Everyone say keep moving forward. How do you run an ultra marathon? Keep moving forward. So anyway, I got out there and got lost. Completely lost from I mean it's a it's a long, kind of a funny story, but we don't have time for it this morning. I mean, I'm racking up lunch dates, is what I'm doing. All right, and uh, I mean, there's the old story. Jamie's there; she's freaking out, and uh, I mean, she's not running; she's there to pick me up. And uh, and I'm lost out in the woods. I got I, was, I literally have not seen a human being in two hours, and uh, so uh, and I got to this last hill that I'd been told about, and it was exciting to see this hill, even though it looked like you needed to you know, get a rope and pull yourself up. It, it was exciting because I'd been told that's the last mile. When you see that hill, that's the last mile. So it's, either this hill is the last mile, or if it's not, it's going to be my last mile on this planet. Either way, I'm either going to see my family or I'm going to see Jesus in the next 20, 30 minutes, one way or the other. And so I start up this hill walking because, I mean, it's all you can do. And there's this big tree right by the trail, big tree. So I get about halfway up, and I step over in front of this tree and just lean back against it. And I hear a voice. It says, keep moving forward. Now, I've been out in the heat for eight hours now. And I haven't seen a human in two hours. And I'm a little bit off this point and I hear this voice says keep moving forward and you know what I said I am out loud like I am so if you'd been hiding in the woods it was like I am and the voice said no you're not you're leaning up against a tree I'm resting keep moving forward can I not just rest I'm saying all this out loud and uh, you're never going to finish if you don't keep moving forward. So I've moved away from my tree that I'll ever be thankful to and, and kept moving forward until I saw pavement. And then I got a, and it was a very, very ugly win. And actually, I finished later than you could finish and get a medal. But the race director said, no, he's getting a medal anyway. Anybody went through all that, he gets a medal. So it was an ugly win. But it was a win. And you know what? I'm okay with an ugly win. 
Amen. Don't quit. Everyone say, keep moving forward. Doesn't matter what it looks like, keep moving forward. So this morning I'm looking at a bunch of failures, just like in the upper room. And you know what happened in the upper room, right? So listen, just say, God, I failed, but I'm not going to get on this roller coaster anymore. The only thing I'm going to promise you from now on is that I won't quit. Listen, you, you're ashamed. Listen, don't be ashamed. You didn't turn away. You just fell. There's a big difference in falling and turning away. You didn't turn away. You just fell. I preached here the last few times. I preached about you cannot. They went out from us, but they were not of us. And then some of you come and talk to me, and you, you talk to me like you were one of those. You were one of those. You just fell. Falling is one thing. Turning away and reputing aid to the faith is something completely different. Do you understand that? Falling is not the same thing as standing up and saying Jesus is a liar. Are we together on that? I don't know how much plainer I can make it. You didn't turn away. You just failed. Get up. And by the way, if the person next to you falls, get them up. You're about to come unglued. Yes, I'm about to come unglued. Why in the world are we hesitant to reach down and grab somebody around the throat if you have to and pull them to their feet and say, no, you're not quitting. You're not going to stop. I will harass you Till the day I go to heaven. But you're not going to stop. You're going you're gonna to get up. Help each other up. Enough. Enough of the hyperbole. And we're relentless. We're on fire. We're this and that. We're none of the above. But we are kept. So get up. I'm not relentless. I don't even consider myself faithful. Because I know every detail. But I am kept. I am forgiven, and I am moving forward. Keep moving forward. There was a song in the 1980s by a guy by the name of Brian Duncan called We All Need. He said, from a cardboard hovel in a darkened street to the well-lit windows of a penthouse suite, all are desperate souls with a human fate. We protect ourselves within the walls we make. And I stand in a corner now in my house of rest and bow my head and beat my breast and say, God, please forgive me for this sinner's heart. Though you show me your mercy, it's the same old story keeping us apart. And of course, as we all feel lost sometimes, we all feel hurt inside, we all cry, we all need the redeeming love of Jesus. Say, yeah, that's, the sinners are like that. Yeah, well, then he, he hits us. He says, I was raised on the lessons and the victory speech. And I fought for the standards that I could not reach. And I hold my tongue when the pain is great. And I cover my tears as we celebrate. While a private war rages with the fear and the doubt. As I try to run faster to find a way out. I'm convinced if I stumble, they'll just cast me aside and mock at my weakness and shatter my pride because I've watched as we've stoned the more hesitant soul. 
So we all must remember it's still God's grace we all need to know. That's a great song for the 80s when we were all sanctified. And some of us were exactly in those verses. Why should we have to hide who we are from each other in the house of God? Why shouldn't I be able to tell you, brother, look, I'm, this, is, this is who I'm at. This is where I'm at. Help me. And, and I'm not talking about the word accountability. It's so overused and so under whatever, under everything else, overused and under everything else. I'm talking about relationship. I think relationship's a better word than accountability. Accountability's so mechanical. No, authentic relationship that says, dude, I, I, don't, I don't know if I'm going to make it through the day. You have an hour or two that we can get away and just be together. Get a clue what's really going on here. He tells us in Romans 8, 29, he says, For those whom he foreknew, these he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. Whom he justified, these he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Shared that with you just a while back. The golden chain of redemption. What shall we say to these things? There's, there's a conclusion to these things. And that is, the conclusion is, God is for us. And if God is for us, who can be against us? He foreknew some. There's some, he'll say at the end of the age, I never knew you. So how do I know if he knew me? Well, those whom he foreknew, he predestined. Well, how do I know if he predestined me? Well, those he predestined, he called. Are you starting to feel it yet? Well, how do I know if he called me? Those he called, he justified. Those he justified, he glorified. Now notice all the he, 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 he's in here. And not one you. Not one we. We. No, it's all he. The only thing, the only we in there is what shall we say to this? He foreknew. He predestined. He called. He justified. He glorified. So what shall, what shall we say? What shall we say? It's obviously God. If God is for us, who can be against us? That's why we sing songs. It's interesting because, you know, I evaluate the theology in the songs. We sing some pretty strong theology in this place today. And, uh, uh, you know, 50, 60 years ago, we'd sing theology too. I know not why God's wondrous grace to me hath made known, nor why unworthy Christ in love redeemed me for his own. But I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. And they, they were singing a song about our foundation this morning, and I thought, and I, and I already had this in my notes, but the, the 1787 version of that. See, they've been singing that theology for hundreds of years. The 1787 version of that says, How firm a foundation, you saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in his excellent word. 
What more can he say than to you he has said, to you who for refuge to Jesus have fled? Fear not, I am with thee, O be not dismayed, for I am thy God and will still give thee aid. I'll strengthen thee, help thee, and cause thee to stand, upheld by my gracious omnipotent hand. When through the deep waters I call thee to go, the rivers of sorrow shall not overflow, for I will be with thee thy trouble to bless and sanctify to thee thy deepest distress. When through fiery trials thy pathway shall lie, my grace all sufficient shall be thy supply. Thy flame shall not harm thee, I only design thy dross to consume and thy gold to refine. The soul that on Jesus doth lean for repose, I will not, I will not desert to his foes. That soul, though all hell should endeavor to shake, I'll never, no, never, no, never forsake. How firm a foundation that's called. You sing one that says, He saves me from every sin and harm, secures my soul each day. I'm leaning strong on His mighty arm. I know He'll guide me all the way. Saved by new life sublime. Saved by His power divine. Life now is sweet and my joy is complete for I'm saved, saved, saved. And then, of course, in the 90s, we, saved, we sang Bob Dylan's version of Saved. What do we do? What do we do, beloved? Out of strength, trying to remind ourselves not to quit. We go to Psalm 77 and we remember. What did he do? He said, I'll remember the works of the Lord. I'll remember what God has done. Lamentations, the book of Lamentations and Zach, if you'll join me. The book of Lamentations was written. <clears throat> Jeremiah prophesied for almost 50 years in Jerusalem, begging them to repent and get right with God, and they refused. And finally, Jerusalem was destroyed, and the people were taken into captivity. Jeremiah wanted to stay and die in Jerusalem would have probably been a quick death, probably would have died of starvation or disease within a number of weeks. But they literally almost kidnapped him and forced him to go to Egypt with them. Some uh, refugees fleeing from the Babylonians and took him to Egypt. So Jerusalem and Judea has been destroyed. Hundreds of thousands of the people have been killed. Hundreds of thousands have been taken into captivity in Babylon. Only only a remnant is left scattered throughout the land. The cities are burned with fire. There is no, there is no country. The country is destroyed. And he's been taken forcibly to Egypt. He's preached and prophesied for 50 years to no avail. His ministry was a failure. And now there's nothing left to say because it's already happened. Everything he prophesied had already happened. There's nothing left to say. And that's the context that he writes the book of Lamentations. Lamentations is a, it's, it's a farewell. It's, what are we going to do? And the point I'm going to make is, there, there's, there's absolutely no way that you can be in a scenario that would be more bleak and dire than what Jeremiah found himself in when he wrote Lamentations. And 
And I want to read you a few verses, starting in chapter 3. He said, I have become the laughingstock of all people, the objects of their taunts all day long. He has filled me with bitterness. He has sated me with wormwood. He has made my teeth grind on gravel and made me cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. So I say, my endurance has perished. So has my hope from the Lord. Now watch this. My endurance has perished. So has my hope from the Lord. Because remember what I started with. Even the young man shall fall exhausted. Well, in the spirit, he was a young man. He's an old prophet, but he's the strongest of all those in Jerusalem in his walk with God. If there's anybody that can do this, that can walk this out, it's Jeremiah. He says, my endurance has perished, so has my hope from the Lord. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. It's verse 14 through 20. But I don't want to leave you with that. In verse 21, he says, but this I call to mind. What does Drew say? I am reminded. Verse 21, but this I call to mind. What did we start with in, in Psalm 77? All this horrible stuff going on. But I will remember the works of the Lord. He says all this, I'm looking at all this, and, and it's all, Ken, it's just, but this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Now, if Jeremiah can have hope in Egypt with Jerusalem and Judea burned to the ground and the people taken captive, I believe you can have hope. Are you hearing? But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Watch this, because some of you have heard this verse all your life, but you didn't know the context. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. You see that from Egypt. Call this to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him. The young men shall fall exhausted. But those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. I'm going to call this to mind and have hope. What am I going to call to mind? The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. We used to sing that. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning, new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness, O God. Great is thy faithfulness. Sing that with me. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His 
His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning, new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness, O Lord. Great is thy faithfulness. And he didn't write that on a good day when he felt that those doodads in his quiet time he wrote that from Egypt and life was just destroyed so I, I'll call to mind having the, because the scripture declares it the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases his mercies never come to an end you do not have strength to finish this journey. In our weakness, he is made strong. Even the young men, the strongest among us, Drew, the, the pastors, shall utterly fall exhausted. But if we can just wait on the Lord. give us strength for the journey. Mount up with wings as eagles. Run and not be weary. Walk and not faint. Let's stand. Everybody has their favorite quote. One of my favorites is, I don't even remember who it was. It was an old, old preacher toward the end of his life. He said, if the Lord fails me this time, it'll be the first time. Uh, you know, that would have sounded good coming from a 20-year-old, but it sounds amazing coming from an 80-year-old. The Lord fails me this time, it'll be the first time. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information, including service times, contact information, and online giving, please visit www.fhop.church.